Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's great to see you all this morning. Uh, we're going to be continuing this morning in our study in the Sermon on the Mount in a message that I'm calling How to Kill Worry. Uh, and if that's something I think uh, we all need today, isn't it? Uh, we just heard amazing songs about how we need to trust in the Lord Jesus and how he walks beside us, right, uh, all the time. And so if we could truly trust that, I think we deal a pretty significant blow to worry. So let's ask the Lord for help before we go to his word. Lord God, we thank you uh, for this very practical word that you speak today. Lord, that teaches us that you are there, you are by our side, and Lord, uh, you have things under control. And so help us to trust that, Lord. Help this word to sink deep into our hearts today so we might actually live this one out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've told you before that one of my favorite movies is The Shawshank Redemption. I love that movie, and uh, one of the best parts of the movie, of course, is uh, that uh, the, the escape. But, you know, Andy Dufresne is played by Tim Robbins, and he's been wrongly convicted of this murder, and he's been put in jail, and he's been there for 20 years of his life sentence. And uh, as the movie progresses, we learn that Andy has been digging a, a tunnel through the wall in his prison cell, for 20 years, and every day he's been carrying out one pocket full of his wall and emptying it uh, through a hole that he cut in his pant pocket until 20 years later he was able to dig all the way through that wall. So he shimmies through the wall and he uh, climbs down into the guts of the building and he smashes uh, one of the sewer pipes with a big rock and then he has to crawl into the sewer pipe, which is filled with unimaginable uh, waste as you can uh, uh, just... Get, begin to contemplate and probably don't want to, then swims 500 yards through this uh, and falls out uh, into a river, uh, and he's being washed clean. And this is the picture of what he looked like when he was finally free, uh, falling into that river. And so I imagine that after you've spent 20 years in prison, uh, that that is what freedom would feel like and what it would, uh, what it would be something that we can't imagine because we've not been bound uh, in prison for uh, 20 years, uh, most of us, I assume. And uh, uh, this freedom that we have, though, would be so, like something we had never experienced before. To be free would be truly amazing. The, the, the bars and the chains that have held us down for so long have been released uh, and we are truly free. Well, Andy Dufresne was wrongly convicted of that murder. He didn't do it, uh, but he was a victim of the system. He found himself in prison uh, because the system happened to get that one wrong. But you know, a lot of things happen to us too where we're victims, and these are things that we can't control. Uh, we can lose our jobs. Our finances could be really tight. We might get sick uh, through no fault of our own. Uh, our kids may start hanging out with the wrong crowd and they may stray from God's path. And most times we can't change our circumstances, but we, we, what we can control is how we respond to these circumstances. And so we're challenged three times in this passage by Jesus' command, don't worry. And if Jesus tells us, don't worry, it must mean that we have a choice in the matter, right? We can either choose to worry or we can choose not to. And so Jesus tells us, don't. Well, imagine the opposite of worry. It's the face of peace, relief, freedom. Uh, it's like the face of Andy Dufresne. Uh, there's always going to be things to worry about. Andy Dufresne was free, but he was still a fugitive. He had a lot that he had to worry about still, but he was able to enjoy that moment of freedom. 
And we can too if we would just learn to take life one step at a time, right? Let's deal with the very next thing instead of 10 things down the road. Let's not worry about what's going to happen tomorrow or the day after that. We have enough things to deal with today. So Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, I came that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. And so in, when he said that, he was speaking the parable of the good shepherd. And what he was talking about was these sheep. He likened us to sheep. Uh, and these sheep are in uh, risk, danger, fear for their lives because they are defenseless and there are wolves uh, and there are robbers all around them that can kill them at any moment. Uh, but the sheep who followed Jesus, they were the ones who were safe. They had peace because they made the choice to follow him. And the wolves are still out there, but because they are under the protective umbrella of Jesus, they are safe and they have peace and they can enjoy life abundantly. And so of all the things uh, that we can uh, let into our lives that will stop real freedom and stop us from be being able to enjoy the abundant life, worry has got to be way up there on the list. And the thing about worry is that it is self imposed. We impose worry on ourselves. So wouldn't we all like to throw off the chains of worry that weigh us down and don't let us live this abundant life? Wouldn't we love to wake up in the morning free from the uh, fear, the, the grip, the paralysis that comes from being a subject to worry all of our lives and living in fear of what might happen next? We can it's a choice. It's a choice that we can make. Last week, we learned that Jesus wants us to choose treasure in heaven over treasure on earth. He wants us to choose having a good and clear and generous eye over having an evil and a covetous eye. And he wants us to choose to make him our master rather than making money our master. And here, really, what we have is just a continuation of last week's sermon. Uh, last week, we talked about those three choices, and there's another choice being offered to us this week. Do we want the abundant life, or do we want to be slaves to worry? We can choose. Last week, Jesus was talking about what we do with our excess possessions. Uh, do we become enslaved to them? Do we give them away? What do we do with them? This week, Jesus is talking about our necessities. So are we going to worry about our necessities? What are the basic things we need to live? We need food. We need water. We need shelter. We need clothing. We need oxygen, right? These are all things that our bodies need. Uh, and we have to have them. Our bodies have to have these things to survive. But our souls have needs also. And so there are so many people who have everything they need physically to live but their souls are in absolute anguish because they have not uh, been able to conquer this, this uh, ever-present worry in their lives. And Jesus doesn't want that for us. He wants us to have the abundant life, and the abundant life that Jesus promises us will only be ours if we can put aside worry and learn to trust him. So we're going to look at this sermon in three parts today. We're going to see the command, first of all, don't worry. We'll see that in, uh, repeated three times. And then Jesus is going to ask them five rhetorical questions, which are basically his five reasons why we shouldn't worry. And then he's going to offer them some alternatives to worry, the things that we ought to seek after rather than the things that maybe we do seek after. 
So let's start with the command uh, that's found in verse 25. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Some of your translations may say, therefore I say to you. Uh, so for this reason basically uh, is, is the same. It's making a connection between these verses and the verses that came before. Uh, and so if we made the first three choices correctly, uh, if we chose to have God as our master, to have a good and generous eye, and to treasure up uh, in heaven rather than on earth, then really the final choice ought to be made almost automatically because we have chosen uh, not to value uh, these things of the earth. We're not going to uh, worry so much about material things. We're going to let God be in control of these things. Uh, but that's so much easier said than done, isn't it? We, we, we trust God to a degree, but we have to, every minute of every day, kill this worry that tends to rise up in us, and we have to learn uh, to trust God to provide for our needs. But that also doesn't mean that we just let go and let God, right? You've heard that phrase. Jesus isn't telling us to be irresponsible. That's not what he wants. Uh, that's why uh, the, King James, uh, the King James says, take no thought about your lives. That's not the best translation because Jesus does want us to take thought for our lives. He wants us to, to uh, work. He wants us to provide for ourselves and for our families. He wants us to plan. He wants us to do all those things. Uh, but we're just not supposed to worry about those things. And that is really the big difference. Jesus told them not to worry two other times in this passage. Verse 31, don't worry about drink or clothing. And verse 34, don't worry about tomorrow. And so his commands are meant to be all-inclusive. They're meant to include everything that we might worry about. And I know in a room of this size with this many people in it, there are people right now who are absolutely consumed with worry about one thing or another that's either happening in your lives right now or is going to happen tomorrow or the next day. Uh, you have health issues, you have a pending physical exam, you may have gotten a poor diagnosis, you have other health issues, um, you don't know how you're gonna make your next mortgage payment, uh, your kids may be uh, following uh, in the path that we would prefer that they didn't go, uh, your boss might not seem to like you, they may be phasing out your position at work, your family may be in some kind of chaos. There's so many things that we could spend our time worrying about but we are not in control of any of these things. None of these things can we control, and worrying about them changes nothing. Uh, someone said, worry doesn't rob tomorrow of its sorrow, but it robs today of its joy. And I think that's true. Uh, I read a statistic recently that said 90% of the things that we worry about, over 90%, actually don't even happen. So we can spend 100% of our time worrying about things that are 90% not likely to happen. And that just seems like a foolish waste of time and energy. And yet, somehow, we can't stop doing it. So if we are going to defeat worry, we have to have two things. We have to absolutely know two things. We have to have them in our heart. We have to be able to roll them out whenever worry comes upon us. And the first one is that God is sovereign. We have to know that. That means that nothing happens outside of God's control. Nothing happens outside of what he knows or what he allows. Not one single thing will ever happen to you that doesn't go through his hands first. And just a few examples of hundreds that I could cite from the scriptures. 
Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Genesis 50.20, as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. And Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We know God is sovereign. And it's great that he is because we wouldn't want to live in a world where God wasn't sovereign. That would be really scary. But it's only one half of the equation. To know that he's sovereign, that's great. You know, we've had plenty of rulers in world history that have been sovereign, but good didn't always result, right? Because human uh, rulers have been evil and wicked kings. But, uh, so we need the other half of the equation. And the other half of the equation is that God loves us. So God is sovereign on the one hand, and God loves us. We have to really really believe that? Do you know that in your heart, deep in your heart, that God loves you? You have to know that God is sovereign and that God, is, that God loves you. He died for you and he died for me. Uh, Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he said his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Of all the many, many verses I could cite about love, God's love, those are two good ones. God is sovereign, and God loves us. That's all we need to know. Well, you might ask, well, why do we still have trouble in the world? Well, that's a completely different issue. Jesus said we will have trouble. If Jesus had trouble, why would we be exempt from trouble? Uh, we live in a fallen and sinful world, and there's going to be evil in this world, and we are going to encounter it, and we do encounter it, every day. So we're not talking about the fact of trouble. We're talking about our response to trouble. Are we going to worry about it? If God is sovereign, and he is, and if God loves us, and he does, then we don't have to worry. But here's the question. Why do we worry? We can't help ourselves, right? Worry is a fact of our lives. Well, these are some hard truths. Uh, when we talk about why we worry. And one of the reasons we worry is because we're trying to put ourselves in the place of God. We don't like his plan. We don't think that he's doing things the way he should. If we were God, we would do things this way. Uh, we want control of the throne. We want to wear the crown ourselves. We fear what will happen tomorrow because we can't control it. And we desperately want to control what's going to happen tomorrow. And so until we can relinquish that to God and trust his sovereignty, we're going to have a hard time with worry. We can put the things that are going to, that we could worry about, things that are going to happen in, in the future in two categories, things we can control and things we can't control. And 99% of the things that are going to happen in the future fall into the second category, right? We can't control them. So why do we spend our time worrying about these things? If we can't control them, we should just not worry about them. But we have to repeatedly remind ourselves over and over and over again that God is sovereign and that God loves us. And then we leave tomorrow to him. So repeat after me. God is sovereign. God, is sovereign. God loves me. God loves me. Do, you Do you believe that? If you believe that, then we are taking a big step toward defeating worry. Uh, when we know those things, worry is uh, it's being shown the door, and so we just have to hold on to those things. Last week, we learned that you cannot serve both God and money. If money is our master, God can't be. And the same thing is true about worry. 
God cannot be our master if worry is. And so what we'll see here is that there are either, we're going to either have worry crowd out God, or God is going to soothe our souls in the face of worry and be the remedy for our worry. And so Jesus asked them at this point in verses 25 to 30, he's got five rhetorical questions that he wants to ask them, and these are really the reasons why uh, worry is incompatible with faith and, and why it's foolish for us to worry. And so here's the first one. Uh, this is verse 25. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So the argument is, if God has given us this great, great life all the way up here, is he not going to give us the lesser things down here that we need to sustain that life? Think about it this way. If you bought your child an expensive toy for Christmas, you're certainly going to buy him the battery that goes with it so he can play with it, right? You bought him the greater thing, you're going to buy him the lesser thing that makes the greater thing effective. And so when we ask this question, will God feed us? Well, of course he will. God knows that we need food, and he knows that we need clothing to live, but we don't live for food and clothing, right? Most of us don't have to fear whether we have enough food in our refrigerator or pantry to last today. Uh, we probably have enough food stored up for a few days or a week or maybe even more. Uh, and if we don't, there's a Kroger right around the corner and Amazon can deliver whatever we need by tomorrow, right? We don't have to worry uh, for the most part, but life is so much more than food or clothing. We are spiritual beings in a physical body. The most important things are not what we're going to eat or what we're going to wear, but our relationship to God and to others. And that's what the whole Sermon on the Mount has been about up till now, right? Jesus has been teaching them, stop worrying about material things. Stop chasing after the things that the scribes and Pharisees chase after. Don't have their attitudes. Think more spiritually. That's what Jesus wants them to know. Be different from the scribes and Pharisees who spend all their energy trying to accumulate material things and who love the praise of men. They had never learned to live by faith because of the importance that they placed on material wealth. So they had material wealth, but they had no spiritual health whatsoever. And so Jesus taught them to seek spiritual treasure and let God handle the material things. That's what life is about. Life is not about food and clothing. It's about our relationship to God and others. So then Jesus asked them a second question, and it's this. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And so if God feeds the birds, which are his lesser creatures, will he not that much more feed his greater creatures, uh, us, human beings? Um, so what we see is that God created us for relationship with him. And we're greatest because he wanted to have that relationship with us. We can't have that relationship with him unless we are self-aware, uh, unless God has given us a mind to be able to contemplate the deep things of God, uh, to give us a heart that wants to have relationship uh, and, and, to, and to be united with God. Uh, we have to have that in order uh, to have that relationship with God. And God gave that to us, his greatest creatures. Birds have nothing like that, right? Birds are born, and they live, and they eat worms, and they gather sticks, and they make nests, and they make more babies, and then they die. Uh, but they have no idea that all of their provision comes from God who gives this to them. Are we more valuable than birds? 
Of course we are. We are made in the image of God. Did Jesus Christ die on the cross for birds? No. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins so that we might have eternal life with him if we would believe the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if he gave us life and then he died for us, will he certainly not provide for us uh, are we certainly not worth much more than they are? Well, of course we're worth much more than they are. All right, great. God is going to provide for today. But how many todays will I have? When am I going to die? And we can get all worried about that. So Jesus asked a third question. He said, who, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Uh, the translations are interesting at this point. Uh, the Greek is interesting at this point. There's a Greek word that's used for the word life there. That is halakia. And it can mean like a span of distance or it can mean a span of time. So your version might say, who can add a single cubit to his height? Other translations say, who can add an hour to his life? Uh, what is involved here is, is that uh, since Jesus is talking about uh, he's talking about life and not stature. He probably means uh, a length of time rather than a length of height. But this word has been used in a couple of ways. Uh, Zacchaeus was called Halakia, which means he's short in stature. But when Abraham was past the age, Halakia, of childbearing, that's a span of years. So it's used both ways. But the, the idea is who can add a span of time to his life? Uh, and the answer is, of course, no one can. So why do we bother worrying about it? Uh, Luke, in chapter 12, uh, in this same passage, the companion passage in the Sermon on the Mount, says, if you cannot even do a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? And that always gives me a kick when I read about how doing a very little thing, like adding time to our lives, is such a tiny thing to God. To us, obviously, it's impossible. But to God, he snaps his fingers and tells Hezekiah, all right, I'll give you 15 more years to live, right? God can do anything, but these things are impossible to us. Now, I can't tell you how many hours I've spent exercising in my life. Uh, someone once said that exercising only increases your life by the amount of time that you spend exercising. And I sure hope that's not true, because that would be a terrible waste. Uh, but I don't exercise to increase the length of my life. I exercise to increase the quality of my life. And so uh, that's what exercise is about. But when we think about uh, increasing our time of life, well, that's really hard to do. I remember when Molly and I were newlyweds, we were hiking in the Grand Canyon, and an older couple came up to us, and uh, you know, we were in our mid-20s, and, and they said to us, always keep your health, always stay in shape, because you're going to want to enjoy these senior years, and that has always stayed with us. So we exercise to increase quality of life, not quantity of life, because that is out of our control. And if you're like us, you're not afraid of being dead, right? We know that we are going to go to heaven. We're going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. It's the dying that we don't want to do because that can be uncomfortable. But God is in control of all of that, right? And uh, unless he comes back beforehand, we're all going to experience that. So every minute of every day is known to God. He says, before you were even knit together in the womb, all your days were numbered and every hair on our head is numbered. So why? Do we worry about how long we're going to live? It's outside of our control. And if God is sovereign, and he is, and if he loves us, and he does, well, then we don't have to worry about these things. The next question is, why are you worried about clothing? Jesus again returns to the uh, subject of clothing. And so it says, 
Uh, Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil nor spin, yet I say that even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. Now remember, when Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount, he's standing outside on a hillside, right? So he's pointing, look at the birds of the air, look at the lilies of the field. He's giving them vivid and, and practical and living illustrations as he stands there giving this sermon. And so maybe somebody picked up a flower and they looked at the flower, and if you've ever done it, you know you look inside that thing and you can't believe uh, the intricacy of a flower and what is needed for this thing to draw nutrients from the ground, to receive sun and water, how this thing has been given by God, the ability to keep itself alive and reproduce itself is absolutely staggering. And yet they don't even toil and spin, which is a metaphor for how we or birds go about working. Uh, Birds can at least fly around, right? They can go gather worms, they can gather sticks or whatever, but a flower can't even do that. It blooms exactly where it's planted and it grows up from there. It draws its nutrients from the earth. It receives nutrients from the sun and from the water uh, that falls on it and uh, it grows and it reproduces. And if God can do that even for a flower and make its beauty even greater than the greatest, most rich king who ever lived, can he not also clothe us as well? So why are we worried about clothing? And so that's Jesus's fifth question. He moves on to that. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not also clothe you, you of little faith? Remember, if you bought your child an expensive toy, you would also buy him the battery as well. So God will clothe you. Jesus minimized now the value of the lilies. He doesn't even call them lilies anymore. Now he just calls it the grass of the field. It's a dime a dozen, right? It's just grass. That's all it is. And grass and flowers bloom in season. Uh, They sprout for a time, but seasons change. Flowers die. Uh, The landscaper was just at my house yesterday mowing that thing outside that we call a lawn. It's brown hay. Uh, But seasons change in Texas, right? The time for green grass is gone. Uh, And so that grass is worth nothing more than being gathered up and thrown into the fire. And in ancient Israel, that's what they would do with grass. They would gather it up and they would throw it into the fire as kindling uh, so that they could keep themselves warm. And so if the if God will even clothe the grass and if he will even, even clothe the lily, which will live for just a short time and then be thrown into the fire, well, will he not also clothe us? So these five reasons why, these five questions show how worry is incompatible with the Christian life and with children of faith. Uh, so after he was done asking the questions, he says, you of little faith. Isn't that like a kind of a staggering jab from Jesus? We wonder who he's talking to at that point. Well, maybe there were people there who had been worried and maybe he was convincing them that they should not worry. Uh, Maybe there were people there who were still worried and he was trying to get them to see things the way he would see them. But what we see is that there is a choice. We always have a choice about whether we're going to worry or not. And like we saw last week between the choice between treasure in heaven or on earth or between a good eye or an evil eye, it's not just a one-time choice, right? Sometimes choices, you take a left or you take a right on the fork of the road and that's it. But worry is a different kind of choice because we have to make that decision every minute of every day to decide whether we're going to trust God or whether we're going to succumb to worry. And if we trust in God's sovereignty and love, 
I would hope that as we learn to walk with Jesus, we will learn more and more to be people of faith. And so Jesus then showed them a better way by giving them three suggestions as, how, as to how they could live as children of faith. And he showed them that they should be different from the Gentiles. And again, the message is like we've seen in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, it is do not be like them. And so a better way. Uh, do not seek what the Gentiles seek. Verses 31 and 32. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing for the Gentiles? Eagerly seek all these things for your heavenly father knows that you need all of these things. The Gentiles are pagans. They don't know God. They don't have a relationship with him. They have no understanding that God loves his children and wants to provide for them. They spend their time trying to please this imaginary God who arbitrarily or capriciously may choose to bless them or may choose to curse them. Now, if that was the kind of God that we served, we ought to be worried too, but we have a different God than the Gentiles have. We know God. We have met him personally. We understand that God knows what we need, and we know that God has provided for us in the past. And the best indicator of future performance is someone's past performance, right? And so if God has always been faithful up to this point, why do we worry that he's not going to be faithful in the future? We need to remember God's promises, and we need to trust them. And when we worry, we look just like the pagans, running around, fretting about this and that, having no confidence in our own God who has always provided for what we need. There's not one person in this room who hasn't been through some crisis that you didn't know how you were ever going to get through it, and yet here you are, still here. God has brought you to the other side of it. And he's, he's shown over and over again that he's faithful to his promises. And since this is true, we should not seek what the Gentiles seek after, but rather we should seek what the true children of God seek. Verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What we see here is that the material follows the spiritual. If you have the spiritual, the material things are going to follow. And so Solomon was asked by God, what would you have uh, so that you might rule this people? And, and Solomon wisely asked for wisdom. And God said, because you have asked for wisdom, I will add to you long life, freedom for your enemies, and riches beyond your imagination. You see how the material follows the spiritual because Solomon asked for the right thing the material things followed after that. And so uh, certainly the highest things that we can reach for are God's kingdom and God's righteousness. God's kingdom is that his will be done, right? Uh, we, we learned that when we were talking about the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and it's, it means the time when God's will will be done on the earth just like it is in heaven. And God's righteousness is how we get into heaven. And so uh, we get it not by trusting in our own righteousness, of course. We get into it by trusting Jesus' righteousness, that he died on the cross for our sins. And we know that we have no righteousness of our own, but because we trust in his righteousness, that he will take us to heaven based on what he's got and what he's done, not anything that we've done for ourselves. So if you've got Jesus' kingdom and you've got Jesus' righteousness, that's all you need. The material things are then added to us as a bonus. So if that's the case, a third point that Jesus wants us to know, and that is don't worry about tomorrow. 
Verse 34, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, I like the NIV translation better here than the New American. Uh, The same Greek word is translated differently in the New American. It's translated worry in the first half of the verse and care for itself in the second half of the verse. Uh, The same Greek word in the NIV is translated worry in both places, so I like that better. Uh, But you get the point. Uh, Worry is supposed to be something that we don't do. We let worry worry after itself. And, and we know that worry is a waste of time. We all know that. We just need to be reminded of it over and over and over again. You know that God only gives us enough light for our feet, right? He doesn't light up the whole path of our tomorrows in front of us. We wouldn't have the courage to take another step if he did, right? So he gives us enough light for his feet and he doesn't want us to worry. A commentator, John Stott, uh, said, all worry is about tomorrow, but it's experienced today. And that's so true, right? We're worrying about things that haven't happened yet and we're destroying today because of it. If we could just allow tomorrow to worry about itself rather than us worrying about tomorrow, we'd never worry because 99% of the things we worry about are the things that are going to happen tomorrow. And so we would be free. Imagine your life free from worry, free from the shackles that occupy our time and our energy and get us so bogged down and take away from the abundant life and ruin today for fear of tomorrow. Imagine being free from that. This sermon is as much for me as it is for you. I've told you before that I can be a bit of a worrier, and so uh, I'm preaching to myself here, and I'm hoping that you get something out of it. Uh, I need to be talked into this just like you do. Worry is a taskmaster uh, that takes all, all of our life out of today and it promises no hope for tomorrow. There will always be something to worry about, right? Worry feeds on our insecurities and our, our failure to trust God and, and, and whatever it is that we might be fearing in our life. And it's a hungry beast that will never be satisfied, so it must be killed. If you can't satisfy it, by continuing to uh, appease it with this and that, the only thing left to do is to kill it. And so here are three resolutions that we can make today that will help us kill worry. But they're only going to work if we give ourselves wholeheartedly to them, 100%. The minute we waver on these, worry is going to creep right back into our lives. So we have to train ourselves to respond properly to worry, just like we would train a dog to respond to our commands. You have to train ourselves to do this. And the first one is this, resolve to trust God first. You know, for most of us, when a stressful situation comes up or when some stimulus arises that uh, might cause some stress in our lives, our default response is to worry. That's the first thing we do. And so we have to ask God to change our default position from worry to faith. Pray a thousand times if you have to. God, I trust you. I will not worry. God, I trust you. I will not worry. Catch your brain when it's about to go into worry mode and stop it. Stop the, sp- the, the, the wheel of worry from spinning. Like when a bicycle wheel is spinning, you have to stick a stick in the spoke and stop that wheel cold from spinning. We have to do that if we're going to stop worrying. Remember that God is sovereign and that he loves you. His promises are true and he can be trusted. So trust God first. The second thing is to pray often. Your mind can only focus on one thing at a time. 
Prayer is an antidote to worry because it takes the focus off of ourselves and our needs and our problems and it puts the focus where it belongs. It puts the focus on God and the more we focus on God, the less we will worry. Leave little sticky notes around your house, on your mirrors that say, pray, don't worry, so that you see them and you respond properly when worry is about to creep up. Keep worry in the on-deck circle. Never let it get up to bat. That's how we combat worry, and we do it by praying often. And then finally, live for today. Look outside. It's a beautiful day out there, right? Today could be a beautiful day. It could be an amazing day. What do you want to do with this day? Don't waste it worrying about tomorrow. Don't be paralyzed by the fear that tomorrow might bring. The thing you're worrying about is 90% not likely to happen. So why do we spend our time worrying about this? Create a new identity for yourself. Say, I will not be a child of worry. I am a child of faith. And live out that identity. Our lives will be dramatically different. Do you want to be free from worry? You can be. Let's pray. Lord God, I'm so grateful for this passage. Lord, in this incredible Sermon on the Mount, there has been so much about how we are to be different, Lord. And if we could exhibit this quality of being different in our lives, our lives would be so changed, Lord. And we would be truly your children who weren't worried about what people think or what might happen tomorrow. We would be truly free, Lord. And I pray that we could grasp hold of this message, Lord, that you are sovereign and that you love us, Lord. And if we could learn these things, Lord, we would be a reflection to this world uh, of how Christians live, what Christians believe, and that we don't have to worry about what happens tomorrow because you are in control of these things and you love us, Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross so that we might have salvation, Lord. And if we have that, we have nothing to worry about. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.